Tune Review, and Speaking to the Blind, celebrating 40 years of audio newspaper production. Welcome to this week's edition of the National Podcast, recorded at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre by our amazing volunteers. You can get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram using at Tune Review, that is at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. You can also contact us directly by emailing information at tunereview.com. That is I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W.com or by calling 0141 772 3976. That's 0141 772 3976. This is from The National on Friday the 13th of October 2023 from the Culture section. Billy Connolly reveals Parkinson's has radically changed his life. This article is written by Gregor Young. Billy Connolly has said his life has changed radically since he was diagnosed with Parkinson's as he revealed his wife now dresses him in the morning and he once forgot the name of one of his dogs. The Scottish comedian, 80, was diagnosed 10 years ago on the same day he found out he had prostate cancer, for which he later received the all clear. Discussing how Parkinson's, which causes unintended or uncontrollable movements such as shaking and difficulty with balance and coordination, has changed him, He told BBC Radio 4's Today programme, My life has changed radically since the diagnosis of Parkinson's. I walk with a stick and at airports I have to get the wheelchair. I hate being dependent to that degree and I feel sorry for other people who are in wheelchairs and who have worse than me. But it's a thing I just have to put up with. My wife puts my clothes on in the morning. It's not very manly. Your mum puts your clothes on. I'm clumsy and I lose my balance. I'm out of balance a lot and I fall. I'm fed up with it. I think I have a good attitude to it. I say to the disease, I'll give you a break if you give me a break. We're nice to each other now. My memory is short. I forgot the name of one of my dogs, which is really awkward when you're shouting it. it's in the street. You have to say, Hey, doggy, doggy which is terrible. I felt embarrassed for the dog. You could tell it knew. I shake a bit. I don't shake every day, all the time, but for about an hour or two I'll shake, and when I'm drawing it spoils it. Then I conquered it. I draw with shakes in it and it works. I think most things can be conquered, and especially the depression. Depression is such a complex affair, but you have to conquer it. Take it on face to face and refuse to be part of it. I've always been easily made laugh. I'm a lucky man with my sense of humour. I can laugh myself out of most things. In an extract from his new book, published in the Telegraph, Connolly said he has considered what he wants to have written on his gravestone. He wrote, I was thinking I'd like, Jesus Christ, is that the time already? On mine but my wife Pamela was a bit shaky about it, so we settled on, You're standing on my balls, in tiny wee writing. As for me, 
I haven't made up my mind about my burial place, but I'm thinking that instead of a headstone, a table on an island in Loch Lomond for fishermen to picnic on would be nice. Connolly, who has made a documentary about death rituals, said he used to think often about death and what came after, writing, I used to think about death and about the life I led, and would ask myself, how will I be held responsible for it when I come to judgment before God? I don't believe that any more, although the whole thing is still a mystery to me. That article was written by Gregor Young. This is from The National, on Friday the 13th of October 2023, from the comments section. Israel-Hamas war. What we are watching requires humanity. This article is written by Richard Walker. How can we write about the atrocities which have this week scarred Israel and Palestine? How can we stare at such evil and formulate any coherent response? Yet, this week, how can we not? Like most people, I have watched the news with mounting despair and dread. Each day has brought new and previously unimaginable horrors into our homes. We have seen hundreds, thousands of heartbreaking tragedies unfold before our eyes. How can we see such things as possible and hold on to even a slither of faith in humanity? It is perhaps inevitable that our first reaction is to desperately try to apportion blame. How else to make sense of senseless violence? Competing narratives pull our sympathies in different directions. The Israeli victims, so young, so innocent, all those bodies, babies reported to have been beheaded, the black bags which stopped us seeing the grimness within, but could not stop our imaginations. So many questions, but one that will not dislodge itself from the brain. How could those responsible still be referred to in any sense as being human? We could hardly be surprised at the calls for vengeance when they came. We can empathise. We can try to understand the response. We can understand that in the same circumstances we would most probably feel the same. Grief does strange and terrible things to people, but that does not mean we have to agree. It has already been firmly established that any criticism of the scale and proportionality of Israel's reactions to the Hamas attacks must be preceded by an acknowledgement of the sheer, indescribable horror of what took place before. It is quite right to do so. This was an act of unspeakable evil, and there is no deed so heinous that it would justify such callous murders. There is no place for any but after such condemnation. No retaliation by Israel makes such barbarity less inhuman in comparison. It must, nevertheless, be possible to feel the same revulsion over the murder of a Palestinian baby in revenge as over the murder of an Israeli baby. In fact, it should be more than possible. It is essential. Otherwise, we lose something of what it means to be human. Just as we have seen terrible suffering and anguish in Israel, we have watched horrendous brutality inflicted on the people of Gaza, trapped with little water, no food, no electricity and no escape. One does not cancel out the other, 
because one is almost impossible to bear, it does not follow we must harden our hearts against the other. We are under no obligation to take sides or to weigh up the circumstances of different acts of violence to decide which is more acceptable because the perpetrators have right on their side. We are not a British generation to have been conscripted into fighting a war, whether we like it or not. We have not had to weigh up the moral consequences of killing another human being against the consequences of being defeated through a failure to do so. The moral issues thrown up by war are difficult enough to unpick, but there are no such problems here. Surely there is general agreement that there is no justification for the slaughter of innocent children. It has happened, of course, in Nazi-occupied Europe, Indonesia, Cambodia, Bangladesh, the world watched in horror. Today, heads of state condone the murder of children by making implicit support for Israel, no matter what retaliation it considers appropriate. Yesterday, I watched a video of Israeli workers pouring concrete into the water supply in Gaza, in an action guaranteed to cause suffering and death. Earlier, Israel's ambassador to Berlin, Ron Proser, urged the Western world to stand with Israel as it fights the bloodthirsty animals of Hamas. But of course, it's not just Hamas that Israel is fighting. The people in Gaza are being bombed and starved, whether they have anything to do with Hamas or not. Israel is explicit that this collective punishment, which is illegal under international law, its action in Gaza, violence that indiscriminately targets innocent civilians, was described as a war crime in a statement by a group of UN experts yesterday. The world knows the conditions in which Palestinians are forced to live. It's commonly called the world's largest jail, but the West does not care. After paying lip service to the need to protect civilians yesterday, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken promised that US support for Israel would never end. You may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as America exists, you will never, ever have to, Blinken said on a visit to the country. With friends like that, Israel knows its enemies are on the back foot. It's difficult to know for sure what is currently happening in Gaza or in Israel. There is no shortage of news reports, but which are true? Who can tell? The most controversial are the aforementioned beheaded babies. Virtually every newspaper splashed the story earlier this week about this grimmest of grim discovery. It wasn't just the disfigured bodies claim that was reported, the culprit was too. Every version of the story I read either directly blamed Hamas or suggested that it was almost certain to have been to blame. Then the doubts started to emerge. The story seems to have started when a reporter from 24 News said that an Israel Defence Force commander told her that they had found the bodies of some 40 babies, some of whom had been beheaded. But where was the evidence? That seemed to appear when US President Joe Biden said on Wednesday that he had seen horrific photographs of the atrocity within his own eyes. Except he hadn't. A White House spokesperson later clarified that Biden was referring to reports that he had read rather than photographs he had seen. At the time of writing, 
Israel has still not confirmed that evidence of Hamas beheading babies had been found. One official told CNN there had been beheadings, but whether the victims were male or female, adults or children, he could not say. Now, I have no clue whether the stories are true or not. What worries me is the speed with which they went viral and appeared as fact on the front pages of so many reputable newspapers, without any confirmation from anyone. Professional journalism is supposed to be the antidote to the tide of fake news which washes over us every day. In this case, it fell down on the job. There were some outbreaks of sanity. My colleague and fellow national columnist David Pratt provided good advice not to jump to conclusions without hard facts. Wise words in a febrile atmosphere in which no story about Hamas, inhumanity, needed any proof to be regarded as the truth. It's not political bias to suggest that one of the most profound and useful voices to be heard amid the madness came from our own First Minister. Ramzai Yusuf would have been out of his mind with worry. His wife's parents were in Gaza visiting their son and their grandchildren. Along with the two million people crammed into Gaza's 365 square kilometres, they have been ordered by Israel to leave the area when Israel itself prevents them from going anywhere. There was no fury or hatred in their voices when the First Minister and his wife Nadia El Naklia spoke of their family ordeal. Only anguish, worry and a profound humanity. Yusuf spoke only of saving lives. He showed that even in the midst of trauma, in the middle of what his wife described as a living nightmare, we can at least care about those we share the planet with, to want desperately to stop suffering and avoid deaths. As we watch a disaster unfold on our television screen every night, unable to help or hope, it says something about the man who runs this country and about his family that they show us, despite everything, what it means to be human. That article was written by Richard Walker. This is from The National on Friday the 13th of October 2023 from the news section. Holocaust denier arrested in Scotland can be extradited to France. This article is written by Lucinda Cameron. A Holocaust denier arrested in Scotland can be extradited to France where he is wanted by authorities, a court has ruled. Authorities in France issued a domestic warrant for Vincent Reynaud against alleged offences relating to online videos, some of which contained statements denying that the Holocaust happened. The alleged offences include public trivialisation of a war crime and public challenge to the existence of crimes against humanity committed during the Second World War. Reynard, 54, was arrested in Fife in November last year and was remanded in custody after crossing the Channel to evade French authorities who had been pursuing him for two years. Sheriff Christopher Dixon said that statements in the videos are beyond the pale of what is tolerable in our society and grossly offensive. He ruled that the alleged offences constitute an offence under Scots law, as they would amount to a breach of the Communications Act, and that there was therefore no bar to extradition. 
In a written ruling, he said, I have found that the conduct set out in the accusation warrant constitutes an extradition offence. There are no bars to extradition. The respondent's extradition would be compatible with the convention rights within the meaning of the Human Rights Act 1998, and the respondent's extradition would not be disproportionate. In such circumstances, I order the respondent to be extradited to France. Holocaust denial has been a criminal offence in France since 1990, and Renard has been convicted on previous occasions, including being handed a four-month jail term in November 2020 and a further six months in January 2021. Sheriff Dixon said that Renard was arrested in November 2022 on a conviction warrant concerning a 12-month jail sentence which was upheld in the Court of Appeal in Caen, Normandy, on June 17, 2015. The single offence he had been convicted of was disputing the existence of a crime against humanity and involved him publishing two videos online which, amongst other things, disputed the existence of gas chambers at Auschwitz and described the Holocaust as a myth, the sheriff said. However, at a previous hearing, the court heard that the conviction warrant had been withdrawn by French authorities due to the amount of time Renard had spent on remand in Scotland. This left the domestic warrant, which was issued by French authorities in November 2022, in relation to which Renard now faces extradition. Sheriff Dixon's ruling was published following a hearing at Edinburgh Sheriff Court on Thursday, and Renard was remanded in custody. That article was written by Lucinda Cameron. This is from The National on Friday the 13th of October 2023, from the news section. Humza Yousaf's wife interrupts interview in tears over family in Gaza. This article is written by Laura Pollock. Hamza Youssef's wife interrupted an interview on Thursday in tears, fearing the home her family in Gaza were staying in had been bombed. Youssef and his wife, Nadia El Nakla, have been candid in their fears for her family, including her parents, grandmother, brother and his children, who are currently trapped in Gaza. El Nakla had been watching TV reports of bombings, recognised the area as where they were staying and feared it had been hit, although she was later able to contact her mother. Her parents, Elizabeth and Margit El Nakla, travelled to Gaza last week to visit his 93-year-old mother when Hamas attacked Israel, prompting reprisals and senior Israeli officials declaring a siege of the territory. The First Minister was due to speak to various media outlets on Thursday ahead of the party's conference in Aberdeen this weekend. In the early minutes of speaking to the PA news agency in the drawing room of his official residence at Butte House, El Nakla entered the room sobbing, telling the First Minister she could not contact her family with whom they had been speaking just hours before. The First Minister later said she had been watching media reports of bombing, recognising the area to be near where her parents were staying. She would eventually manage to contact her family, 
who verified that they were safe. Yusuf, although visibly shaken by the news, insisted the interview go ahead. When the interview resumed, he said, Nadia's family live in a place called Deir al-Bala. It's just outside Gaza City. Nadia was watching Al Jazeera live, and Nadia used to travel to Deir al-Bala before the blockade, and she recognised the neighbourhood. It was their neighbourhood being hit. She couldn't get through to her mum and dad, so she was obviously very distressed. But she has, thank God. Her mum has got a message through saying, Our neighbourhood is being hit. We haven't been hit yet. He added, The Israeli government know where our family is. They know the coordinates to that extent, so my hope is that they won't be hit. El Natla spoke to the BBC on Wednesday, saying her parents continually feel like they are going to die. Along with her parents and elderly grandmother, her brother, a doctor, has four children, the youngest of whom is just four weeks old. That article was written by Laura Pollock. This is from The National on Friday the 13th of October 2023. From the politics section. Humza Yousaf issues unity appeal to SNP amid division warning. This article is written by Laura Pollock. A divided SNP cannot win elections, Humza Yousaf has said in an appeal for party unity. The party leader has faced significant challenges during his six months in the top job, with high-profile MSPs openly calling for an end to the Butte House Agreement, which sees the Scottish Greens in government. Veteran MSP Fergus Ewing recently had the SNP whip suspended after he voted against Greens Minister Lorna Slater in a vote of no confidence. Yousaf's former leadership rivals, Kate Forbes and Nash Reagan, have also made their opposition to the power-sharing agreement known, particularly around climate policies, delays to duelling the A9 and highly protected marine areas, HPMAs. Speaking to press at Butte House, ahead of his first party conference as leader this weekend, Yousaf urged the SNP to come together or risk making the independence cause weaker. In an appeal to SNP members, he said the party's stance should be respected regardless of whether they voted for him, Forbes or Reagan in the leadership contest. The Scottish First Minister said, The old maxim is true. Divided parties simply don't win elections, so we have to heal the divisions that exist. I don't care if you voted for Kate or Ash, whether they agree or disagree with the Butte House Agreement. Let's come together and respect the party. That's the party that elected me as leader. It's the party that, of course, overwhelmingly backed the Butte House Agreement with the Greens as well. So unity is going to be important. Youssef also said ditching the Butte House Agreement was not a logical conclusion to the divisions emerging within the party hierarchy, given it was backed by a majority of the party. He said, The resolution is to remind people that if we are not united as a party, then that cause of advancing independence is weaker. Every single one of my colleagues will tell you 
that I've made it very clear to them that you can walk through my door at any point and have a discussion about policy where there's disagreement. Yousaf will address SNP members in Aberdeen on Tuesday as he brings the party's conference, which is due to start on Sunday, to a close. That article was written by Laura Pollock. This is from The National on Friday the 13th of October 2023 from the Politics section. Karen van Sweden resigns membership amid New Scott comment row. This article is written by Laura Pollock. SNP councillor Karen van Sweden has resigned her membership after Humza Yousaf labelled her language unacceptable. Humza Yousaf said Karen van Sweden was right to apologise for her comments made during the Aberdeen City Council meeting on Wednesday, where she described Labour councillor Dina Tissera, a new Scot. Councillor Tissera, who was born in Sri Lanka and holds full British citizenship, had since written to the First Minister, urging him to suspend Van Sweden and stand together against racism. However, the SNP have confirmed Van Sweden has stepped back from her SNP membership and referred herself to the Standards Commission. A spokesperson said, Councillor Van Sweden has taken the decision to refer herself to the Standards Commission and requested the SNP National Secretary investigate comments she made during yesterday's council meeting, which she immediately and unreservedly apologised for. Whilst these processes are underway, she has stepped back from her SNP party membership. Van Sweden had apologised for the clumsy language, which has been dismissed by Yousaf. He told the PA news agency on Thursday, It was unacceptable. I saw the comment this morning. It's unacceptable and the councillor is right to apologise. In fact, I also want to apologise to Councillor Tessera, who was on the receiving end of that comment. There will now be a process around a potential disciplinary. I'll not interfere in that process. Referencing Van Sweden's apology, he said, It wasn't just clumsy. It speaks to the unconscious bias and discrimination that people hold, and we all have to challenge ourselves. We all have it, but we have to challenge ourselves about it. But there's just no kind of place for that language. I saw the comments and I was thoroughly disappointed. The remark came during an Aberdeen Council debate on austerity on Wednesday afternoon. Van Sweden said, I realise as a new Scot, Councillor Tessera maybe doesn't know about the mitigation that the SNP government has had to put in over the years they have been in power. The SNP councillor later apologised in the chamber, following objections by other councillors. She later said, I unreservedly apologise for the clumsy language I used in the chamber and the offence it caused. It could not be further from the values I hold. Van Sweden used the phrase New Scot away from its usual context welcoming people to Scotland, Tizira claimed. During a meeting of the Council on Wednesday, Tessera said, I have taken the life in the UK test to become a citizen and I probably know more than you do. 
This article was written by Laura Pollock. This is from The National on Monday, 16th October 2023. From the News section. Aldi do not eat warning and recall due to potential health risk. By Joshua Searle. Aldi is recalling one of its products over health concerns prompted by a labelling error. The supermarket has issued a recall of its Ready Steady Cook teriyaki beef stir-fry because it contains wheat or gluten not mentioned on the label. As a result, the product is a health risk for anyone with celiac disease or an allergy or intolerance to wheat or gluten. The affected products come in pack sizes of 500 grams and the recall impacts all use-by dates up to and including October 22nd. The Food Standards Agency, or FSA, warned anyone with allergies, intolerances or celiac disease not to eat the product. A spokesman said, Aldi GB is recalling the above product from customers and has contacted the relevant allergy support organisations, which will tell their members about the recall. The company has also issued a recall notice to its customers. These notices explain to customers why the product has been recalled and tell them what to do if they have bought the product. If you have bought the above product and have celiac disease and or an allergy or intolerance to wheat or gluten, do not eat it. Instead, return it to the store from where it was purchased for a full refund. For more information, please visit help.alday.co.uk or call customer services on 0800 042 0800. So what is an allergy alert? Sometimes there will be a problem with a food product that means it should not be sold. Then it might be withdrawn, taken off shelves, or recalled when customers are asked to return the product. Sometimes foods have to be withdrawn or recalled if there is a risk to consumers because the allergy labelling is missing or incorrect or if there is any other food allergy risk. When there is a food allergy risk, the FSA will issue an allergy alert. That article was by Joshua Searle. This is from The National on Monday 16th October 2023 from the News section. Scottish Council met with more than 50 objections over Stella McCartney house plans by Adam Robertson. Plans for an unashamedly contemporary house for fashion designer Stella McCartney have been met with more than 50 objections. The 52-year-old, the daughter of Beatles legend Paul McCartney, is looking to erect a coastal property at Glenuig at Commando Rock, south of Arisaig. In a planning application, McCartney's architects say the glass-fronted home would enhance the landscape and retain the wild nature of the site. However, 
Many local people have expressed their alarm about the potential disturbance of otters, the proposed felling of Scots pines and the prevention of access to a local beach. Highland Council have received more than 50 public objections to the plans which were submitted in the name of McCartney's husband, Alistair Willis. Sam Seckham, one of the objectors, said it would set a bad precedent that anyone with enough money could buy up unspoilt and extremely beautiful land and then build enormous dwellings which would likely remain unused for most of the year. Many objected to the proposed felling of five of the site's 15 mature Scots pine trees to make way for the new house. Objector Kevin Hewkin from Loch Oilert wrote, The removal of some of the existing Scots pines is an outrageous suggestion. The whole country is in a process of trying to get these magnificent natural trees to regenerate, yet here the application wants to go against this initiative. Local Lib Dem councillor Angus MacDonald said in his objection, if one third are removed, it would increase the chance of wind blow on the remainder. In a design statement for the house, McCartney's architects, Brown and Brown, said privacy is of prime import to the applicant, which was a chief reason why they acquired the site. However, an environmental health officer for Highland Council said the perceived privacy of the site was contradicted by a history of public access. He recommended the council draw up an access management statement on how a local bay would be reached if the plan went ahead. The design statement says McCartney and Willis wished to create a home which sits comfortably within the wider area whilst also creating a contemporary home which could largely be heated by passive solar gain and which utilises appropriate renewables. It says the house would be built from rough-cut natural Scottish stone, forming a complementary language with areas of dark grey board, marked concrete, and a section of Corton weathering steel of an ochre colour, which would pick up the colours of the landscape. It would also have a planted roof seeded with grasses and heather. The Council's planning committee is expected to discuss the application in the coming months. That article was by Adam Robertson. This is from The National on Monday 16th October 2023 from the politics section. SMP can turn negative headlines into a positive by Kirsty Strickland. Former SMP MP Dr Lisa Cameron, who defected to the Tories last week, said she had been forced into hiding with her family after receiving a torrent of abuse and threats. Since making the shock announcement about her intention to cross the floor to join the Conservatives, the MP said she had received numerous threatening emails, including one about her being bricked in the street. It should go without saying that threats against politicians are completely unacceptable. Two MPs have been murdered in the last 10 years, which means threats of violence, 
whether the intention to carry them out is genuine or not, provoke the kind of fear and distress in politicians that is difficult to fully comprehend for those of us who aren't on the receiving end of it. Cameron left the SNP in advance of a selection meeting to pick the SNP's general election candidate for her constituency. She was critical of the culture within the SNP group at Westminster, which she says left her feeling isolated and works through fear and intimidation. She says things got worse after she defended the teenage victim of unwanted sexual advances from Patrick Grady. Cameron said, I will never regret my actions in standing up for a victim of abuse at the hands of an SNP MP last year, but I have no faith remaining in a party whose leadership supported the perpetrator's interests over that of the victim's and who have shown little or no interest in acknowledging or addressing the impact. But whatever criticisms Cameron has of her former party and former colleagues, it doesn't detract from the fact her constituents are now left with an MP who represents a political party they didn't vote for. Cameron has been the SNP MP for East Kilbride, Straven and Les Mahago since 2015. At the 2019 general election, she was returned with a 46.4% of the vote. Her Conservative rival in that election finished in third place with just 21.2% of the vote share. There is a reason why parties that look to be on the up suddenly receive an influx of ambitious wannabe politicians who are desperate to become a party representative. Regardless of the talents of individual politicians, most people cast their votes by party, not personality. Cameron's constituents voted for a pro-independence, centre-left party, and they're now saddled with an MP who has given who has given her backing to the rabidly right-wing anti-immigrant pro-Brexit Tories. It is a bizarre decision that makes you wonder whether Cameron read the SNP manifesto before fighting three elections. Her choice to join the Conservatives is all the more strange when you consider the fact that as an MP she will have seen firsthand the destruction and devastation Tory policies have caused in recent years. Switching parties mid-term might be permissible, but without that decision going back to the voters through a by-election, it lacks legitimacy. The Conservatives haven't won the support of an extra constituency in Scotland, Their numbers have been boosted because an MP seems to have changed her entire political outlook in a very short space of time. Cameron has said she doesn't intend to stand at the next election, which is expected to be held in autumn next year. MPs represent all their constituents, regardless of their political views or party affiliation. So, on a practical level, not much will change. 
The SNP has brushed off the bombshell defection, with some senior SNP figures branding Cameron's claims of a toxic culture of the Westminster group unsubstantiated. The First Minister said Cameron's constituents would feel deeply let down by her actions and that she should resign. As irritating as the negative headlines might be for SNP, coming as they do at a time when the party doesn't have its problems to seek, this run of bad news might help them out in the long run. As we saw from the Rutherglen and Hamilton West by-election, the SNP's streak of astonishing electoral success looks to be under threat. But defeat can't help but focus minds. The party knows it faces an uphill battle as it fights to motivate its base ahead of a general election. It must do all it can to reinvigorate apathetic voters, hone its offering to the public and dust itself off from a recent party discord. Political parties can approach a slide in support in one of two ways. They can become defensive and insular ignore the warning signs I have trouble ahead and plough on in much the same way as they have been. Or they can take a step back from their run of bad luck, analyse it objectively and use it as evidence of what needs to change. That article was by Kirsty Strickland. From the National, Tuesday the 17th of October, from the Culture Section, more authors call for Bailey Gifford to divest from fossil fuels? Article by Ross Hunter. More authors have joined calls for the Scottish Investment Bank, Bailey Gifford, to cut ties with the fossil fuel industry. In August, climate activist Greta Thunberg cancelled an appearance at the Edinburgh International Book Festival due to the event being sponsored by Bailey Gifford. She said she could not attend due to Bailey Gifford's investments in the fossil fuel industry and said its sponsorship of cultural events amounted to greenwashing. The group Fossil Free Books, FFB, has since issued a statement calling on the 12 book festivals currently sponsored by Bailey Gifford to urge the company to divest from fossil fuels. Co-signed by respected authors such as Naomi Klein, Ben Ockley, Max Porter and Rebecca Solnit, it read, In August, at the start of the Edinburgh International Books Festival, Hundreds of authors came together to ask Bailey Gifford to divest from fossil fuels. Now, as Fossil Free Books, we're urging all UK literature festivals currently receiving sponsorship from Bailey Gifford to call on Bailey Gifford to divest. These festivals often platform vital conversations and concerns about the urgency of the climate crisis. To address the material reality behind these conversations, we cannot allow fossil fuel investments to fund these events. However, the director of Borders Book Festival, Alistair Moffat, said that calls amounted to self-righteousness against complexity. Two weeks ago, we had a school day in Hoyt for 1,300 primary school kids, he said. Bailey Gifford paid for each of them to receive a book for free. These children aren't investing in fossil fuels. The folk demanding that Bailey Gifford divest from fossil fuels are not interested in dialogue. They just say, Get rid of them or we can't come. You shouldn't take the money. It's self-righteousness against complexity. 
Beerleague Ifers states that only 2% of its clients' money is invested in companies connected to fossil fuels, compared to an 11% market average. In the article, it was written by Ross Hunter. From the National, Tuesday the 17th of October. From the Culture section, Time Out names two Scottish areas among coolest in world. Report by Adam Robertson. Two Scottish neighbourhoods have made Time Out's list of the coolest neighbourhoods in the world. Each year, Time Out asks its international audience to nominate areas of cities which have the best mix of culture, affordable great food and drink, street life, nightlife and community. In Scotland, Leith made the list at number 16, as did Glasgow's West End which came in at number 20. The Edinburgh neighbourhood was singled out for its food scene as well as its many small batch breweries. Glasgow West End, meanwhile, made the list as a result of its many museums, including Kelvin Grove Art Gallery, as well as the food and drink it has to offer. More than 12,000 people were asked about the coolest neighbourhoods in their city, with the selection then narrowed down with the insight and expertise of Time Out's global network of editors and experts. Travel editor at Time Out, Grace Beard said, What stands out with this year's Time Out Coolest Neighbourhoods is that, while most of them have seen transformation over recent years, they remain resolutely local at heart. Exciting new openings across culture, food and drink, are bringing in new crowds, but neighbourhood stalwarts, from old pubs to family greengrocers, keep it real. And they're fun. These are places where the city comes to play, be it an all-night party, a spot of urban fishing or a nighttime bike ride. After a few tumultuous years, it's heartening to see communities come together to hang out, support local businesses and have fun. The full list can be can be viewed at timeout.com. And that article was by Adam Robertson. From the National, on Tuesday, the 17th of October, 2023. From the Politics section. Richard Maidley stuns Leila Moran with a racist Palestine question. This article was written by Hamish Morrison. Bumbling TV presenter Richard Maidley has been accused of racism after asking a British Palestine MP whether she had heard advanced warnings about Hamas' attacks on Israel. The Good Morning Britain presenter came under fire on Tuesday after a clip on an interview with the Lib Dem MP Leila Moran, who has family living in Palestine, went viral. ITV have been told his comments were unacceptable and commentators have accused Maidley, best known for the Richard and Judy show, of being racist against the Oxford West and Abington MP. A spokesperson for ITV has said Maidley has apologised that he upset viewers. Speaking on the programme on Tuesday morning, Moran called for an end to the siege on Gaza, where her family's home have been bombed, and they have taken refuge in a church. She added... What I know is that there is no food, no water. They have more and more people coming to the church because you seek sanctuary in a church. That's what you do. A tweet from Peter Grant MP says, Dear God, Richard Maidley trying to suggest that innocent Palestines in Gaza 
and the UK knew about the planned massacre in Israel and did nothing about it. Maidley then asked, With your family connections in Gaza, did you have any indication of what was going to happen ten days ago, two weeks ago? Was there any word on the street? Ran replied, not this, not this. Everyone, everyone has been surprised, first of all by the timing and sophistication and the way that it's happened. What I will say is that I've been warning, and others have in Parliament as well for a number of years now, that if we don't find a way, people will go back to the negotiating table. The fact of the matter is there has not been a table, let alone to go back to a negotiating table for at least 10 years. This is a cycle of violence. My worry now is that this is radicalising another generation on all sides. We have to stop this hatred. We have to bring people together and find a way through. Peace is harder than war. It's harder. Responding to the clip on social media, SMP MP Peter Grant said, Dear God, Richard Maidley trying to suggest that innocent Palestinians in Gaza and the UK knew about the planned massacre in Israel and did nothing about it. Ash Sarkar, a journalist with Navara Media, responded, There is no difference from asking British Jews if they have any special warning about settlers attacking Palestinians. Outright racism from Richard Madley. Florence Isalomi, the Labour MP for Vauxhall, said, I saw the clip from GMB interviews this morning. Richard Madeley is actually disgraceful. I was in the chamber yesterday, but sadly I didn't get an opportunity to speak in the statement. Solidarity with Leila Moran for having to endure this racist line of questioning. A spokesperson for ITV said, Richard is sorry that he has upset viewers with his question to Leila Moran. His intention was to understand the mood and atmosphere among the civilian population of Gaza immediately before the attacks. He asked Leila about her family in Gaza City because she had discussed speaking to them earlier in the interview. He did not mean to imply that she or her family might have had any prior knowledge about the attacks. That article was written by Hamish Morrison. From the National on Tuesday the 17th of October 2023, from the Politics section. Five key moments of SNP Conference 2023 in Aberdeen. This article was written by Judith Duffy. After three days of debate and discussion in Aberdeen, the SNP's annual conferences from, for 2023 has drawn to a close. Here we look at some of the most talked about moments as the conference progressed. Nadia L. Nakla's emotional speech on Gaza. The conference opened with an emergency resolution condemning the attacks by Hamas and calling for a humanitarian corridor to allow civilians to be evacuated from Gaza. Nadia L. Nakla's, the wife of First Minister Humza Yousaf, addressed delegates to tell them of the unimaginable horror unfolding in Gaza, where her parents are trapped. She told the SNP conference, my brother is an ER doctor and the hospital is being overrun. Yesterday my cousin was out walking with friends, returned home and got a call asking if he was okay. He said he was fine, but the three friends he was just walking with had just been killed. She added, 
No food, no water, no electricity. We are all seeing an attack on humanity and my heart feels like it is starting to turn to stone. Gaza is being obliterated like never before. Flatulence in debate over indie strategy. A full afternoon of debate took place on the first day over the best way forward on the SNP's independent strategy. Despite differences, party members agreed on plan that if the party wins the most seats at the next general election, the Scottish Government would be empowered to begin negotiations on independence with UK ministers. It was a key debate for the party, but the discussion of the ins and outs of the plan was livened up by the words of one delegate who branded the plan flatulence in a trance. Joanna Cherry praises SNP leadership. Before the conference, SNP leader Humza Yousaf had spoken of how he wanted the party to unite after deciding the independent strategy. During the debate on the issue, SNP MP Joanna Cherry, who has previously been critical of Nicola Sturgeon's leadership, took time to thank him for his backing for her amendment to set up a constitutional convention. She also praised Yousaf and SNP Westminster leader Stephen Flynn for enabling the debate on independent strategy to take place as she announced she would not be putting forward one of her amendments to the resolution calling for a different approach. She said, The new leadership of this party are returning this party to its tradition of respectful and reasoned debate, and in this they have my full support. Humza has also has my full support in his call for unity. Over the past week, I have had the pleasure of discussing with Humza how that unity might be brought about, and I recognise it will require compromise and sacrifices from everyone. Nicola Sturgeon appears. When former SNP leader Nicola Sturgeon turned up at the conference, there was no doubt she was a popular figure in the party, and she was met by supporters and huge media scrum. Her appearance on lunchtime of day two of the gathering came just after the party had voted to abandon her policy of fighting the next general election as a de facto referendum. But she gave her full unequivocal support to the decision which had been made. Humza Yousaf's first leader's speech. The pressure was on for Yousaf to deliver a speech on the final day, which would not only please the SNP members gathered at a conference, but appeal to a wider audience. He unveiled a range of policies, which certainly got people talking, including a freeze on council tax and the SNP's government's most ambitious proposal yet, issuing Scotland's first ever bonds to fund infrastructure. He also emphasised the messages around why Scotland needs to be independent, finishing with a rallying call for activists to let's get out there and make it happen. But the opening of the speech, like the first day of conference, was dominated by a plea to help all those affected by the truly heartbreaking situation in Gaza, while condemning the Hamas terrorist attack. He won the room by starting after an introduction by Deputy First Minister Shona Robinson, praising his calm, measured leadership by saying, She almost made me greet. And that article was written by Judith Duffy. From the National, on Tuesday the 17th of October 2023. From the Politics section. SNP Conference. Call to set up water monitoring over sewage concerns.
This article was written by Judith Duffy. A call has been made to set up monitoring of water quality amid concerns of the risk to wildlife and swimmers from untreated sewage gushing into rivers, lock and seas. A resolution at the SNP's annual conference taking place in Aberdeen, urging the Scottish Government to increase the availability of data to the Environmental Watchdog, SEPA, has been backed by delegates. Dawn Black of the SNP Stonehaven and Mayor's Branch told the gathering that during 2022 at least 14,000 sewage spills directly into rivers, locks and seas had been reported. She said the number of sewage spills had also increased by 40% in recent years, but only 3% of Scotland's storm overflows are monitored, and there was also a high level of sewage-related litter on beaches. Systems designed for another era are groaning with the strain of urban growing population. Sewers are being blocked by wet wipes, cooking fat and other debris, she said. Additionally, when there are heavy rains in many places, untreated sewage gushes out into rivers along with the wipes and other debris being carried downstream to affect wildlife such as otters and beavers and birds like osprey, heron and our sea bird life, which live off the sea fish in the waters. There are frequently tide lines of wipes and sanitary products beyond overflows, simply because there was a huge amount of rain. It is shocking that the discharge of untreated sewage during heavy rains is a normal practice within the current system. Black said wild swimmers are also being affected, for example, with samples taken from Eymouth last July showing levels of sewage-related bacteria deemed by the EU to be a high risk to bathers. She said it was important to note that 66% of Scotland's water bodies are deemed to be in good ecological condition, and the Scottish Government had committed to increasing this by 81% by 2027. But she said it was important not to rest on our laurels and commit to raising standards further. With this resolution, we are simply asking Conference to commit the SNP and the Scottish Government to investing further in the mon into the monitoring and modelling by Scottish Water by making more data available to SEPA and ask for even more sewage overflow monitors and increased capacity in SEPA to react to spillages. We need our waters to be clean for the sake of our environment, for the sake of our wildlife and for the sake of an independent Scotland where clean waters will be essential for our health and well-being economy. The resolution was passed by acclaim. And that article was written by Judith Duffy. From the National, Thursday the 19th of October, from the news section, Breakin, emergency evacuation ordered amid Storm Babbitt flood warning. Article by Steph Braun. Breakin residents have been told to leave the town due to Storm Babbitt floods. Approximately 370 homes are being evacuated amid a severe flood warning for the Breakin Eight River and South Esk area, Angus Council has said. An additional 87 homes in Tanadice and Finhaven will be evacuated too. Rest centres are due to be set up this afternoon from 3pm at Montrose Sports Centre and Breakin for, for community campuses while nearby hotels will offer refuge.
People are being asked to bring their own sleeping bags and any supplies or medications they will need. The council will be going door to door to inform residents of the need to get out of their properties. Vulnerable people have been prioritised and it is understood some residents may not be evacuated until after 6pm when the red warning comes into place. The Scottish Environment Protection Agency has said they are expecting extensive river and surface water flooding, a storm babbit hits. Schools and early year centres closed at lunchtime in the area and they are set to remain shut on Friday, the council has said. An Angus council spokesperson said, Over the past few days, resilience colleagues have been working with SEPA to identify areas at most risk of flooding due to the unprecedented level of rain that is expected to fall across Angus. SEPA have advised of a possible severe flood warning. As a result, we have identified approximately 370 homes in Brecon and additional homes in Tanadice and Finhaven, where residents will be asked to evacuate for their own safety. In preparation of such a situation, rest centres have been set up at Brecon Community Campus, Montrose Sports Centre and Forfar Community Campus, which will open at 3pm to support those affected, and we are working closely with colleagues from Angus Health and Social Care Partnership to identify vulnerable residents who would require additional support. The council added that this anticipated water will reach the top of the River South Esk by around 9pm, but water levels will continue to rise beyond this. It comes amid a rare red weather warning for parts of Angus and South Aberdeenshire, as well as western parts of Tayside. Northern parts of Dundee are included in the red zone, which extends northward up the coast to Stonehaven. Inland areas to the east between Perth and Pitlochry are also affected. Storm Babbitt could bring up to 200 to 220 millimetres of rain in some areas of eastern Scotland, an amount closer to the highest ever 24 hour total for a rainfall day, Met Office figures show. It is the first red warning for rain issued in the UK since Storm Dennis in February 2020. The British Geological Survey has also warned the storm could cause landslides in Scotland. Whilst the landslides will be different to last week's failures in the west of Scotland, with less potential of large-scale debris flows, there is a history of coastal landslides within the warning area, a spokesperson said. Infrastructure slopes are also likely to be affected with potential for disruption to roads and railway within the warning area. Energy company SSE said that it had restored power to 7,000 homes in Scotland on Thursday and was working to reconnect 3,000 more. And that article was written by Steph Braun. From the National, Thursday the 19th of October, from the politics section, nine Scottish Labour officials quit after being gagged over Gaza. Article by Steph Braun. Nine Scottish Labour officials have left their posts amid an alleged gagging order by the party on Gaza. Office bearers in Glasgow Kelvin have quit after calling for the cessation of Israeli military action. It comes following a number of resignations over Keir Stammer's stance on the Middle East crisis. The Labour leader has repeatedly insisted Israel has a right to defend itself within international law. But his comments in a radio interview last week have sparked anger among some Labour activists. Scottish Labour leader Anna Sarwar was said to have been unhappy with Stammer's comments on Wednesday, according to the record. The nine Glasgow Kelvin officials include Jim McKechnie, Jennifer Young, Kim Bonner, 
Peter Duffy, Pauline Bryan, Vince Mills, Diarmit Kelleher, Agnes Tomey and David Conway. A press release stated, The resignations followed the submission of a motion calling on Anna Sarwar to press for a cessation of Israeli military action, the establishment of a humanitarian corridor and the release of hostages. Immediately after publication of the meeting agenda, party officials wrote to all CLPs saying that any motions about Gaza would be out of order and should not be debated at party meetings. The statement for the nine read, We have been informed by the General Secretary and the Scottish General Secretary that any motions relating to the situation in Israel and Gaza are out of order for all CLPs. It seems preposterous to us that a local political party cannot have a substantial discussion on contemporary events which are commanding the attention of the entire world. We believe that the emergency motion which was submitted for debate was perfectly valid and we refute any suggestion by party officials that the mere discussion of the Gaza situation would be prejudicial or grossly detrimental to the Labour Party. On the contrary, we believe that the absence of such discussion brings our party into disrepute. We cannot fulfil this aim if we are forced to shut down discussion and we refuse to be a part of a party machinery which stifles democracy. Starmer has written to all party councillors I think they had a role in ensuring the party stance is communicated to constituents in their local areas. In the letter, first reported by the New Statesman, he said there should be humanitarian corridors and humanitarian access, including food, water, electricity and medicines, to people in Gaza, as well as protection for aid workers. In that article was by Steph Braun. From the National... Thursday the 19th of October, from the news section, Private Eye Sparks Debate with Israel-Hamas War Cover by Hamish Morrison Satirical magazine Private Eye has sparked debate with a controversial cover about the war between Israel and Hamas. The publication splashed with a warning reading. This magazine may contain some criticism of the Israeli government I may suggest that killing everyone in Gaza as revenge for Hamas atrocities might may not be a good long-term solution to the problems of the region. It also adapted its masthead, so the title of this edition reads Private Eye for an Eye. Social media users were split on the cover, with some suggesting it was anti-Semitic, while others said it had taken a brave stance against the Israeli government. The Palestinian region of Gaza is under siege by Israel in retaliation to attacks carried out by Hamas. David Collier, an investigative journalist specialising in anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, hit out at the magazine on X, writing, 1,400 Israelis were slaughtered last week in one of the worst atrocities imaginable, and this malicious, anti-Israel headline is what Private Eye runs with? What a vile, shitty magazine this is. Israeli media has reported at least 1,300 Israelis have been killed since Hamas's attack on October the 7th, while Hamas has reported 3,785 Palestinians have been killed in that time. Julian Jessup, a fellow at the free market think tank Institute of Economic Affairs, added, FYI, I'll be cancelling my subscription on the back of this. Your implication that Israel is sitting killing everyone in Gaza is completely unacceptable. 
There have been concerns raised Israel has responded to the conflict has targeted civilians and some have argued it has amounted to collective punishment to Palestinians. On Wednesday, neither the Prime Minister nor Keir Starmer's spokespeople would say whether they believed Israel's response to be within the bounds of international law. Others have praised the magazine, with one ex-user writing, I stand with magazine editor Ian Hislop and Private Eye. The fact that a moderate view such as is it proportionate response to carpet bomb a whole region because of the actions of a minority is such a shocking view is the problem. It's not anti-Semitic to criticise Israel. Another supporter said, guess what? It's time to criticise a satirical magazine for fuck's sake. I'm sure we will soon see a smear campaign claiming Ian Hislop is anti-Semitic. Ian Hislop and Private Eye are not anti-Semitic, they just identify hypocrisy wherever it manifests itself. In the article was by Hamish Morrison. From the National, Thursday the 19th of October, from the news section, Rishi Sunak named Doctor Death by advisors during pandemic. Article by James Walker Government advisors referred to Rishi Sunak as Dr. Death during the pandemic. WhatsApp messages shown to the COVID-19 inquiry have revealed. The inquiry also heard that putting the country into full lockdown to mitigate the impact of the virus was a necessary evil. The correspondence between epidemiologist Professor John Edmonds and Professor Dame Angela McLean, now Chief Scientific Advisor to the government, took place during a meeting in September 2020. Dame Angela messaged Professor Edmonds, referring to Dr Death and the Chancellor. The inquiry was told. Professor Edmonds told the inquiry the reference could well be about the Eat Out to Help Out scheme, which was devised by then-Chancellor Sunak and deployed a month earlier in a bid to kickstart the restaurant industry following lockdown. Asked about the public impact of Eat Out to Help Out, Professor Edmonds said, To be honest, it made me angry. He said the government had been taking the foot off the brake and easing restrictions, but to put the foot on the accelerator seems perverse. In response to seeing the WhatsApp messages, Naomi Phillip, a spokeswoman for COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice UK, said the inquiry has made clear that there was absolutely no consultation with the government's scientific advisors on Eat Out to help out. It's unbearable to think that if it wasn't for Rishi Sunak's reckless, unscientific and callous approach, my mum might still be with me, she added. When our current chief scientific advisor has referred to our Prime Minister as Dr Death, how can any of us have faith in our government if another pandemic strikes? Professor Edmund said he did not want to blame Eat Out to Help Out for the second wave, but said the optics around the scheme were terrible. He said he understood the restaurant sector needed support, but this, that this was not really just supporting them. They could have just given them money, he added. This was a scheme to encourage people to take an epidemiological risk. In response to the comments, Inquiry Counsel Hugo Keith said, To make it clear, there is very little or there's weak epidemiological evidence to show that infections in the areas in which people took up the scheme, went up significantly. Your point is at the optics of it. Professor Edmund said that advisors were measuring public behaviour in August and, 
At the time, there was a change. He added, I wouldn't say it was eat out to help out, but it was contributing. Downing Street said it would not be providing a running commentary on COVID and viral evidence. Asked by reporters what Sunak made of the Dr. Death label, a spokeswoman for the Prime Minister said, He will be providing evidence to the inquiry and fully participating, but I'm afraid I'm not going to get drawn on individual bits of evidence that are reported from it. Dame Angela also referred to a F asterisk 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 wit in her messages, which Professor Edmonds inferred was in reference to Professor Carl Heenahan, Director of the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford. Professor Hennigan also gave evidence on Thursday. He was critical of the government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and was part of a group of experts who wrote to the UK's Chief Medical Officers in September 2020 calling for targeted measures such as segmentation and shielding of vulnerable groups instead of local or national lockdowns. Professor Edmonds called the full lockdown in March 2020 a necessary evil. It was so urgent, the pressure. Projecting forward, you could see that the NHS would come under severe strain very quickly. And so, action had to be taken. And, although it was an extreme action, and in many respects regrettable, I think it was a necessary evil. The inquiry continues. And that article was by James Walker. This is from The National on Thursday, 19th October 2023 from the comments section. FM's basic humanity is a lesson for other leaders. By Kelly Given. In what has been a period of extraordinary personal challenge for the First Minister, he's been a guiding light in the darkest of times. It feels uncomfortable to continue as normal or carry out the menial day-to-day tasks of my life in the privilege of safety, knowing that, as I do, so children in Gaza spend the night in pitch darkness, consumed by hunger drinking seawater to sustain themselves. Rockets raining down all around them. I have been incapable of thinking about much else. The death toll in Gaza increases by the hour and harrowing images on the ground haunt every social media timeline. Not least the bodies of children strewn across decimated streets or buried under the homes that have fallen on their heads. What the world has collectively sat back and witnessed since October 7th disgraces us all on a basic human level. And it begs the question, what could this possibly achieve? One of the most disgraceful and unintelligent things that we do as humans is engage in extreme acts of violence in the belief that it will solve anything. Violence should be the exception not the answer. It seems no matter how many opportunities we're given to learn this lesson, we're resolved to repeat our mistakes. The deaths of children do not and will not ever avenge the deaths of other children. This is a tactic bound only to result in further needless tragedy. 
Once our leaders have grasped that notion, a peaceful world might seem less far away. So much time has been wasted bickering about the complexities of this situation as the death toll increases and violence escalates at an alarming rate. More than 6,000 bombs were dropped on the strip of land only 25 miles long and 6 miles wide in just six days. A figure that has not drawn nearly enough criticism from the powers that be. Do not be desensitised to this level of destruction. To put it into context, that is the equivalent of a quarter of a nuclear bomb, dropped in an area that is home to more than two million civilians, half of which are children. In such a small and densely populated place, there is no reality in which civilian casualties are avoidable under this level of violence, and the idea that it is self-defence or justifiable is risible. It is pure, out-of-control bloodthirst. Meanwhile, world leaders cowardly tiptoe around saying anything of substance, valuing political capital ahead of the lives of Palestinian children, in doing so, entrenching unnecessary polarisation of an issue that is not that difficult to grasp. While they may distract with soundbites about self-defence and being united against terror, the plain and simple fact that innocent civilians are being slaughtered before our very eyes is the crux of the issue we now face. If it is a united front against terror that is the justification for the international funding and celebration of this horror, is Palestine entitled to defend itself from the terror it now faces? Are we to just engage in an endless circle of violence until no one is left? It seems that we have co-authored two versions of terror, one that is state-sponsored and one that is not. It doesn't mean that either one is acceptable. The lack of spine it must take to witness atrocities on this level and be unable to muster the strength to condemn it unequivocally and without caveat is almost incomprehensible. I look at Keir Starmer, Joe Biden and Rishi Sunak, to name a few. Cozying up to Benjamin Netanyahu in full knowledge that his regime is raining rockets down on the heads of children, regardless of what his justification is, is deplorable. Any leader that does so, or even worse, provides resources to make it possible, is complicit in the unspeakable death and destruction we are seeing play out. Arriving at this conclusion does not take away from the suffering of Israeli civilians. It is simply disingenuous to pretend that it does. Despite what we are being led to believe, it is perfectly manageable to simultaneously comprehend the tragedy in Israel on October the 7th and the unrelenting tragedy in Palestine since. Both should be condemned in the strongest possible terms. Amidst the shower of cowardice, Hamza Yusuf has shown exemplary leadership. While his family face grave danger and his political peers demonstrate the lack of humanity that got us here in the first place, 
he has shown unwavering compassion and leadership. From comforting the Jewish community to offering Scotland as the first country to provide sanctuary and medical aid for Palestinians, he has shone across the world as a beacon of hope at a time when little hope is to be found anywhere. It shames our politics that Yusuf has to be the sole point of reference for good leadership here and perfectly illustrates the kind of exceptionalism and lack of proximity that has seen Western countries partake in destructive wars for decades. It shouldn't take lived experience to evoke compassion for humanity. Why, in situations of injustice, is it perpetually the responsibility of those with lived experience to shoulder the entirety of the education and leadership? It is incumbent on all of us as human beings to speak up in times of injustice, not only when it's convenient for ourselves to do so, or only when we are personally impacted. Since his premiership took off in the spring, Yusuf has had to weather quite the storm. We really haven't had the opportunity to see him shine as the leader he has now proven himself to be until this week. He's gone from perpetual political firefighter to internationally celebrated statesman, while his main opposition lose councillors up and down Britain amidst a mass resignation in protest of their woeful leader. Starmer should fear the Yusuf before us now. Certainly the man I've seen before me this week is undoubtedly the kind of leader Scotland needs. I'm deeply proud to be Scottish in this moment and to be governed by such strength and humanity when the world needs it most. That article was by Kelly Given. This is from The National on Thursday 19th October 2023. From The Culture Section. New book reveals untold history of Scottish sailing by Adam Robertson. It's practically impossible to talk about the history of Glasgow without talking about the River Clyde, given it was at the heart of the shipbuilding industry for more than a hundred years. It goes without saying that times have changed, but that doesn't mean the Clyde is any less iconic. I never really quite knew if the current generation is so connected, but I think everyone is still fond of the river, explains Ewan Kennedy, author of a new book on the untold history of Scottish sailing. Indeed, Kennedy's work, The Scottish Islanders, wouldn't have been possible were it not for the river. Kennedy tells the Sunday National that sailing has been a passion of his since he was a youngster. There's a chapter in the book about this. We were children in Glasgow in the 1950s and when my dad got hold of a car we were taken through to the east coast, he says. The people there were building their own boats out of random bits and pieces and my brother got involved in this as a hobby. That passion didn't falter as Kennedy adds that he's built eight boats in the course of his life and it's something that he highly recommends. 
If you have an office job or you're stressed out, then working on boats is really quite satisfying, he says. I worked as a lawyer in Glasgow, which is interesting, but you get very stressed. Like so many Glaswegians, Kennedy's memories of the cities are connected to the shipbuilding industry and he fondly recalls how romantic it was to hear the ship horns at the beginning and end of each day. The new book is packed with information on Scottish sailing, but there are a few moments in particular which stood out as being of great interest to Kennedy. One of these was the yacht racing that went on every weekend in the 1930s, where some of Glasgow's best-known business families left their home comforts behind to race against each other in a fleet of sailing yachts on the Firth of Clyde. I think it's quite funny because you have these really wealthy families that own shipyards and fleets, but every weekend they went out on these really basic racing boats, Kennedy explains. It required a hell of a lot of physical skill and cunning to compete against one another and the general public would go and watch and bet on them. It was actually quite a cutthroat competition, but it was a big deal. They had two guys from the Glasgow Herald who used to cover it all. It wasn't all about the wealthy, though. In the days before the arrival of package holidays, the river offered an escape from the city. Fleets of paddle steamers used to take people doon the water and each summer the broad stretch of the lower Clyde became a watery playground, as Kennedy puts it. The book has been a long time coming, as Kennedy says he finished a basic draft around ten years ago. Keen to make things more interesting, though, he started a blog calling for people with any memories or photographs of their time on the water to get in touch. I ended up meeting an extraordinary woman called Margie Jackson and she had sailed on one of these racing boats when she was only around 13 years old. When asked to pick out one anecdote in his book that stands out, Kennedy laughs given the wide variety of options he has available. But there's one story in particular he keeps coming back to. It relates to suffragette Emmeline Pankhurst, who, in May 1915, adopted four orphaned war babies. The children had something of an eccentric upbringing, moving from place to place, living in Vancouver, Toronto, Bermuda and then Paris. Known by Pankhurst as Joan Pembridge, the woman was adopted by a man named William Russell from Glasgow, and she became Lady Uday Russell. As it happened, the Russell family were big fans of boat racing, and Lady Uday went on to become a highly respected racer. She didn't wear normal sailing clothes, so the newspapers could see she was a woman, Kennedy explains. The family actually took the boat to America, where they found that women weren't allowed in the sailing races. So she wore a long skirt on the front deck of this racing yacht in New York and really shook up the Americans. So I found that story in particular fascinating. And that's just one tale among many. The Scottish Islanders is out now and is available to buy online. That article was by Adam Robertson. 
That concludes this week's edition of the National Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Tune Review and tell your friends about our service. <laughs>